Amen. Continue that tonight. So you can, can, if you have your Bibles, go on and turn to chapter 12. And we're going to begin chapter 12. We finished up chapter 11, that wonderful chapter last week about faith. Amen. It was such a wonderful time. I think we spent three or four weeks just in that one chapter. And I know we're going to probably spend at least that many in this chapter. So I'm not planning on trying to finish this by the new year or anything like that, this book. It's just going to be when God has us to finish it. Amen. Uh, Let's pray one more time and just uh, ask God to give us ears to hear what He has to say to us tonight. Father, we just thank You, Lord, that we can sing these praises to You from a glad heart. We might have had a rough day today. It might have been a hard day. People might be tired, God. But Lord, You said that that outward man is perishing, but the inward man is renewed day by day. And Lord, today and tonight in this house, God, as we meet with Your people and come into Your presence, God, would You refresh us? Would You revive us, God? Would You speak to our hearts and lives, God? This is not wasted time. This is the best way we can spend our time. The most profitable way is to come into the house of God with the people of God and call upon the living God. And Lord, we we pray You give us ears to hear You. Not just the words of a man from a sermon, but Your Word, God that You would speak to our hearts and give us eyes to see You tonight. Bless everyone that's come tonight. Refresh them. Help us, Lord, tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want you, if you would, if you're not already there, Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to just read the first couple of verses. And I'm certainly, like I've said through the whole book, I'm just not going to rush through it. Amen. So we're going to take our time and just let the Lord speak to us. But he says, and we'll read verses 1 and 2, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about, that's like we're surrounded, with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down on the right hand of the throne of God. How many of you are familiar with that passage? Amen. We've heard it. Uh, I like to memorize Scriptures. That's some that I've memorized. When Dee and I used to travel and sing and, and uh, for, for years, and we would do these concerts and, and share testimonies and that kind of thing, I, uh, many times I've quoted that scripture it was always on my heart it's still on my heart now and it says seeing wherefore and that wherefore is just tying back in that last chapter about without faith it's impossible to please God right and it listed all those men and women of God and it says time would fail me Paul said in the last or whoever author of Hebrews I believe it's Paul time would fail me there's so many and it's not that he ran out of examples of faithful men and women of God and how they obtained a good testimony by faith. He's just running out of time. He's running out of paper. He's running out of ink to write it all. He's got to get on with this thought. And so there's a great cloud of witnesses. It's not just those that are mentioned there in Hebrews 11. He says, time would fail me to write of them all. And there's so many that are nameless in the sense that we don't know who they are. Heaven knows who they are, and they've obtained a good record or testimony or good witness from the Father. God is not ashamed to be called their God, and He's called them His children. I want to live in such a way that God's not ashamed to be called my God. Amen? And so there's this great cloud of witnesses, and it says we are compassed about the living saints on the earth, you and me, and it was these Hebrew Christians at this time that the epistle was written to, but it's just as much for us. 
We living Christians are compassed about with a great cloud of witnesses that have gone before. And, and as I was studying this, the picture is not necessarily that there's a bunch of people watching us from heaven to see how we're doing. You know, the, the scripture is not very clear on what you can see from heaven on earth and that kind of thing. We do know this for sure, that the angels in heaven rejoice when one sinner is saved. Amen. We know that. But as far as what people in heaven can see on earth and all that, I don't want to delve into something that I don't know. If you find a scripture, please come show me. I'm open to hear it. But I think the picture that's given here is that we have witnesses that have been faithful to God, Old Testament saints that walk with the Lord, that were justified by faith, that uh, did miracles by faith, that quenched the fire by faith, that stopped the mouths of lions by faith, the walls of Jericho came down by faith, Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain by faith. We have these witnesses that have gone before us. And these Christians here, these Hebrew Christians at this time, they were facing great opposition. There was a temptation, we've said it before, to give up. The temptation uh, to, to think, and maybe we've thought this before as well. Have you ever been living for God and you faced great opposition? And maybe the thought came into your mind, this, I'm, I must, God must be displeased with what I'm doing, saying, or thinking, because look at this great opposition. When in fact, many times, the very opposite is true. We face great opposition when we do stand for God. It's not a sign of His displeasure. And so, these Hebrew believers, they're Christians that have Hebrew heritage, okay? They were, they were being greatly persecuted, facing great and stiff opposition, right, to their their lives in every area of their life. And they need to be encouraged that God's not displeased. This doesn't mean that the Lord's displeased. There's a great cloud of witnesses. And if you read back in that chapter that we just finished, chapter 11, they didn't all make walls fall down. They didn't all escape the fire. Some died in the fire. Some were killed by the sword. Some wandered around in a, in a poor, you know, having nothing in sheepskins and goatskins and living in caves and on mountains and deserts and and uh, and it says they chose a better resurrection. They didn't deny Christ and they stayed true to the faith. That's our cloud of witnesses as well. That they're testifying, God's testifying of them that they're a great, great cloud of faithful witnesses and their lives would testify that God is faithful and He brought them through. The Lord didn't let one of those people down in Hebrews 11. He didn't leave one up or forget one of, of, of them. And He's not going to do that with us as well. But these trials that they were going through is common to what believers go through. Not the exact same trials per se, lion's dens and so forth, but persecution for righteousness' sake is common. It's common as long as we're walking around on this planet. We're going to face it to some extent. Now you can hide your light and, and try to shrink back from it and avoid some of it. But God's going to keep putting you and in, in convicting you of that and putting you back out in the forefront. And when we just walk with God, there's going to be uh, persecution that comes. And so uh, there's, they're still testifying. A, the sacrifice that Abel offered, for example, that we read about in Hebrews 11. By faith, he offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. And it says that by it, he is still speaking. In other words, we're still talking about Abel 
as being righteous and just and a man of faith. And that excellent sacrifice, which was a sacrifice of faith, which is contradicted to Cain's sacrifice, Abel's sacrifice is still sounding out. This is, this is of God. This is right. This is just. This just man offered the right sacrifice by faith. And so it's witnessing to us. It's testifying of, of us to, to us how to live. And y'all, the Bible says here that, that we're to run the race at the end of verse 1 that is set before us. The Christian life is a race. I know you've heard this before. I'm probably not going to tell you anything you've not heard before. But it is a race. And it's not a sprint. It is not the 100 meter dash or the 200 meter dash. It is a marathon. It is through this life until the Lord calls us home. When we breathe our last breath on this planet, we'll take our next, next breath with the Lord in glory Amen. with Him. And, and that's when the race is over, okay? But until then, we're running it. We say, well, I don't run it. I don't want to run it. Or I don't want to fight the good fight. I, don't, I want to step out. I don't want to get involved in the warfare. Well, you're in it, okay? You're in it. If you're born again, you're in it. And He's called us to it. And we're going to walk in it. We're going to run this race that's set before us. Um, and and it, it requires discipline. And it requires endurance. And it requires faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have to strip ourselves of things that are going to slow us down. So just picture very clearly. You know, I was reading the commentary that, uh, and I've used the same examples myself over the years, but say in the Olympic Games, there's no rule in the Olympic rule book that a, a runner can't bring a full day's meal with him or food with him on the race course. There's not a rule, but I guarantee he's not going to do it because it's going to slow him down. There's no rule that says he can't wear army boots to run, but he's not going to do it because it's going to slow him down. He's not going to be packing you know, golf clubs on his back. Because he's running a race. And so it says here, seeing we're compassed about with so great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside. There's two things we're to lay aside, okay? Every weight, number one, and the sin which does so easily beset us. Weight, and you know, we, people can speak when we gain too much weight at Christmas or Thanksgiving or whatever. I looked up just to make sure I got the definition right. Weight means a bulging load, okay? Burdensome or a bulging load. None of us wants that, right? We don't want extra weight at, at any point in our life, especially if we're running a race. A bulging load is not something you want, okay? And so we are to lay these things aside. And it doesn't mean necessarily the weight part, because there's two things. There's weight and the sin, okay? The weight is anything in this life that will that serves to hinder your walk with God. Anything that hinders you from following the call of God upon your life, from, for fully, from fully living for God with every fiber of your being, whatever that is in your life that keeps you from the prayer closet, that keeps you from the church, that keeps you from the Word of God, that keeps you from fellowshipping with other believers, that keeps you from witnessing for Christ, out publicly, anything keeps you from giving money financially, whatever hinders you from being fully spent and devoted for the Lord, that is a weight. And those things can sometimes be good things that in and of themselves are not evil. I want you to keep your spot, but look at one verse in Matthew chapter 13. Now we all know the parable of the seed and the 
the sower. I think it's in all four Gospels. It's very important, that parable, the seed of the sower. We're just going to read one verse, but in the explanation of the parable, <clears throat> Jesus is talking to His disciples in verse 22. And He says, He that received seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word, and the care of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and, the, and it, he becometh unfruitful. Read it again. He also that received seed among the thorns. So he received the word of God. In the parable, the seed is the word of God. He is he, it's the person that hears the word, and the care of this world, that's not necessarily sinful things. The care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. That would be a pursuit after monetary things or material things. Thinking that it's going to somehow satisfy. That's why it's deceitful. Okay? Because it doesn't satisfy. Deceitfulness of riches. Choke the word. So it has. you wouldn't think a material thing would have a spiritual effect. But it does. The deceitfulness of riches. And the cares of this world chokes it, and he, that person who heard the word, becomes unfruitful. Well, guess what? The Bible says, Here is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. We're not to be unfruitful. Take the word, even if it's only a little bit. If you were in some foreign country where you couldn't even have Bibles, and somebody somehow smuggled you a page of the Bible, and you had that one page, let that bring forth fruit. However much light you have, let it bring forth that much fruit as God wants to produce. But he's saying the cares of this world uh, and the deceitfulness of riches choke it out. And this to me would be an example of the weight that can beset us. Really want, oh, I've got to provide for my family. Well, you do. But are we so consumed with providing for our family? We want our kids to go to a good school. We want to put them in this school and not that school. Those are all very admirable things. Okay? They are. I couldn't attack any of that. I'm simply saying the Word of God would say if though the pursuit of those things is so great that it's in the, any way hindering your walk with God or obeying the Lord fully or it gets a piece of your heart that God should have or the amount of time that God should have. If God says go forth, then go for it. You understand what I'm saying? And it'll be sanctified and unto the Lord. Whatever is truly given to God is sanctified. This is not anti-wealth or anti-prospering in life. But if it's, if it's hindering you, then it's hindering you. And it's a weight, and the Bible says lay it aside. I'll give an example real quickly. I, I read this in, a, I think, a Chuck Swindoll book 30 years ago. And it was talk, uh, this little men's study book <coughs> called <coughs> Strengthening Your Grip. And he talked about, he didn't give the name of it, but there was a young upcoming tennis protege. This young girl, you know, they start playing tennis really young in their early teens and mid-teens. They're like competing big time. And, you know, they can already tell pretty much who's going to be the ones to go on professionally and so forth. Well, this young girl, maybe 15 or 16 years old, was one of these. She was uh, very gifted and, and she loved it. She absolutely loved it, but she was a Christian and she got to all she wanted to do was practice and get better and hit the tennis courts. And somehow God got left in the dust back behind. And the Lord dealt with her and convicted her. And he told her to put that tennis racket down, put it down. And she didn't argue with the Lord. She loved it, but she didn't argue with the Lord. She put it down. I don't know her name. The story was given. 
But it's not even necessarily that she ever went back to it. Maybe the Lord gave it back to her later in life. I don't know. But see, tennis is not a bad thing. It's a wonderful thing. Getting out there and exercising and the competition and good, healthy, clean, fun. Uh, I love to play tennis and so forth. But if that thing becomes a God to you or in any way hinders, and it did for her, it took too great of importance in her life. So you understand that. So we can turn back to Hebrews 12. Lay aside every weight and the sin. I don't have to even define, to define sin or get into it. And the sin which so easily besets us. That word besets means, when it says it easily besets us, it means like a competitor. Like there's something competing against your life. So rental has a walk with God. And there's something that's trying to compete with his walk with God. His intimacy with God, his fellowship with God, his joy in knowing Jesus and walking with the Lord, the peace in his heart that comes from knowing Jesus. All of that that's of God in his personal life. There's a competitor. Sin would be a competitor to that. The sin which easily besets us. It means to ensnare us, to entangle us. And so if somebody's running, the actual picture is given here, uh, you know, in, in the Olympic days, of it would be like if somebody's running a race and, and an enemy sets some little, you know, ties some strings between two trees or something to trip them up or dug a mud hole or something in the way just to slow them down. Somebody tied their shoelaces together right before the race, okay? And it would be a competitor who's trying to entangle you. We are told to lay the weights down, and we're told to lay the sins down. Amen. Now, how many of you, of you have heard uh, sermons or lessons or Bible studies or something along the lines of besetting sin in your whole life? I bet if you walk with the Lord any time, you've heard something. And I personally, I didn't, my Christian life is not one where I grew up like in a seminary or something like that. And I'm not at all against it. I've always heard those things, and I've, in my study of the Bible, in, in the study of the commentaries that I've done, I think we can make a mistake, and I would simply say this. I think we can take what we would call a besetting sin. I'll just pick on somebody. Peter's got this problem, okay, as a believer. He's saved. But this one thing, he's got lots of problems, but not <laughs> Uh, he's got this one thing that he struggles with. Or I have this one thing that I struggle with more frequently than others. Alright? So we label that sometimes our besetting sin. And it's almost like we excuse it or we set it up on a pedestal and we almost can't touch it because that's my besetting sin. And I don't see that anywhere in the Bible. In fact, this is the only place this is mentioned. Besetting sin, and I love this definition I heard from one, some wonderful man of God. He says, it's simply your besetting sin, if you have one, is simply that sin that has the greatest advantage over you. In other words, I'm more prone to it. Uh, if you don't like the taste of alcohol, then it's not going to be a struggle for you to abstain from alcohol. But if, if it's still, you love it, I'm just using that example, okay? You came out of that and you still, God brought you out and He's forgiven you, He's delivered you, you're free from it, but the temptation could still be there and you feel a pull to it at times in your life. Or you feel your besetting sin might be every time I'm in a crowd of people and I have a chance to toot my own horn and make myself look good, I do it. 
is pride, right? I got to make myself look a little better. If there's three people or 300 in the room, I have to make myself look a little bit funnier, a little bit more talented, a little bit stronger, whatever, smarter than the people around me. That's pride. Okay? It's a sin, though. Don't set it off in some category or class all by itself. Oh, this is my besetting sin. You know, pornography is my besetting sin. This is my besetting sin. No, it's sin. And it's what you're more prone to, but it's still just a sin. And guess what? There's not a different rule book for that sin. It's the same rule book. It's the blood of Jesus. It's acknowledging it, confessing it, repenting of it, and coming to the Lord to be cleansed. Now, you might have to go 15 times in a day. Well, then come 15 times in a day, but don't go some other way. Come through the blood of Jesus, confession, repentance, asking Him to give you strength in this area. He is going to bring you through. Period. I'll put a period there. God is going to bring you through that. Whether you struggle with that more frequently than other sins or a longer period of time and you feel like I'm never going to get out of it, it's not true. That's a lie of the devil. Okay? Because what Jesus did on the cross is enough for sin. It's enough for you, if you want to call it that or me, my besetting sin. My besetting sin doesn't get some special treatment and pampering by me, and I'm going to excuse it because that's my besetting sin. I also don't believe you have to have one or that everybody has one. And I've heard preachers say, and in Bible studies, everybody has one, and if you don't, you're lying. I don't believe that that's true. i got lots of sin. I've had to ask God, I don't know how many times today, to forgive me of sins that I've committed today in word or thought or deed. So I'm not claiming perfection. I'm saying I don't have to live with, nor do you, a besetting sin that I keep calling my besetting sin. And there's not a different rule for it. So I just wanted to say that because I've heard sermons and lessons, not everybody, but I love that definition. It's your besetting sin, if you have one, is simply that sin that has the greatest advantage over you. I'm more prone to it. I'm more bent to it. Guess what? As we walk with Jesus, we're going to get more bent to Him. We're going to be more prone to Him. And so I've said this before, if you're prone, let's say, to worry, that's one a sin we almost brag about. Oh, I'm just so worried. You know, it's like we're, we're not even ashamed of it. But um, if, we'll set our, our, if we set our minds on the Lord, He is going to help us. We'll say, well, I, I do that, and then 30 seconds later, I'm worried about the same thing. Have you ever done that? I've done it many times. Okay? But I don't have a new solution. You know what I would say to counseling somebody or myself? Then Randy, if you 30 seconds later you're worrying again, then 30 seconds from now, set your mind on the Lord again. Amen. Whatever's good, lovely, praise, any virtue, think on these Amen. things. I don't have a different way. That's the way. And I've said it before, maybe I have to do it 100 times a day, and by next week I'm doing it 50 times a day, and pretty soon I'm not doing it at all because God's helping me. He's walking me out of the little forest and bringing me back into the sunshine in that area. So if we're running a race which we are, we got to put those things aside. Whether it's sin that ensnares us and is our competitor, or whether it's a weight that's just extra baggage slowing me down. Either way, these two things have to go. Amen? And so uh, the Lord brings us out, and He's going to, but He has set the race before us. And it says at the end of verse 1, I talked all this time and we're on verse 1. Um, <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, at the end of verse 1, it says, And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. I also say this, that God chooses the race. We don't. We choose Christ. 
He chose us, okay, from the foundations of the world in Christ. The Lord chose us. I'm not preaching Calvinism, but He knows who's coming to Him. And we choose to give our life to Jesus. Having done so, now He chooses the race for my life. I don't say I want Jesus and then I want this race. I want Jesus, but I don't want that same race that Clarissa runs. You know, whatever. I choose Christ. And it says that there's a race that is set before us. I've done a little coaching. Other people have done coaching. Some athletes in here. And I look at Ethan. I know he's really fast. I've seen him. I don't know if he's still fast, Ethan. I know you're faster than me. (laughs) I've seen him play softball and he can run. Okay? He wouldn't choose to be probably the, the, I don't know, like the uh, throw the javelin or maybe the shot put or something like that. If he's playing football, he wouldn't choose to be the, uh, the center or the left tackle, okay? He's not built for that. He is going to, the coach is going to look at him and see him run and say, you know what, you're fit for the 100 meters or the 200 meters. You get there in a hurry. You're the one I want for that. And just picture, we come to Jesus and we think, well, I'm a good speaker, so God, I guess I'll be a preacher. It, it might be totally different than what you and I would think. That's right. He sets a race before us. In one sense, we're all walking the same race. We're all walking with Jesus. We're all walking in accordance to His Word right here. That's the same for every one of us. In another sense, there's a difference in what God's called Sherry to, or me to, or someone else. Okay, There's a differences in the specific calling. But we are to run, and we're to run it with patience. And let's look at verse 2. Maybe we can finish two verses tonight. Uh, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. The, uh, we're to fix our eyes. That's what it means. Let us fix our eyes when it says looking unto Jesus. Okay? And it's a look of faith. It's not physical. I'm looking for Him and I can't find Him anywhere. It's a look of faith where the heart looks. And we talked about it in the last couple of weeks with Moses. It says He endured as seeing Him who was invisible. How did Moses see Christ? Even before Christ was born. How did he see Him? By faith. By faith, okay? And so that's how we live this life. Jesus is the author. That means means like the pioneer is one of the definitions or the initiator of our faith. And the finisher of our faith, that means the perfecter. He's going to perfect it. He not just end it somehow. He's going to end it completely. He's going to finish it the way it's supposed to be finished. He's the author and the, and the finisher of our faith. We started in faith. When you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you gave your life to Jesus Christ by faith. He wasn't physically in the room with you and you signed some contract. You said, oh God, I'm a sinner. I believe this gospel and I give my life to you. Save me. Take my life. And the Lord met you right there and His Holy Spirit came and lived inside of you and He took His blood not physically, but spiritually, and washed our hearts clean and forgave us and made us sons and daughters of God. We start in faith. And we're all through the the journey between now and heaven is a journey of faith. And then the Bible says faith is going to end in sight. Not any old sight, but when we see Him, see Him, we're going to be like Him. That's when it's going to end. And so 
We are looking unto Jesus. Amen. It's the only way we're going to make it. Amen. Only way you're going to make it through this life to where God's called you to be and me to be is if we keep our eyes on the Lord. I could be running a race, and you could picture this out in, a, let's say, a long-distance race. We're out in a big, wide-open plain, and you can see literally for 25 miles or something. And you're out there, and way off you can see a little hill or a mountain, and that's what you're running for. But I promise you, if we started getting a little lax and looking around, and I'm going to jog for about five or six minutes just looking around, and we look back up, that little hill might be over here now. It's not that I'm not still a Christian. It's that I got off track a little bit. At no point can we take our eyes off the Lord. Yeah. When you're feeling spiritually on the mountaintop and God's answered 10 straight prayers and everything's just awesome and everything's going great and everybody you share the gospel with lately has been getting saved and you're waking up just zippity doo dah day. Okay? <laughs> and then the times when you're in the lowest valley, at no point... Can we take our eyes off the Lord? Amen. We don't look unto godly men. We have them as examples, our women. I thank the Lord for them, but even in that example, I'm looking to Jesus. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. I thank the Lord for good examples. Bible examples and real life examples. Y'all are, are an encouragement and a testimony and a witness to me and how you serve the Lord and walk with God. I can glean a lot from looking at your lives, but I need to be looking at Christ in you and anything that's not of Christ, I need to not be looking at. And, and the only way we're going to make it is if we keep our eyes on the Lord. And so He's going to bring us all the way through. And, and, and He's able to do that. Amen? And so Christ, when, when Jesus was on this earth, He had a singleness of mind that I've talked about before and a singleness of purpose. He was, came from heaven to Bethlehem. And, and But when He was born, He came to this earth to be the propitiation for the sins of the world. I came to seek and save the lost. He was doing that by laying His life as a ransom, literally dying for the just for the unjust on Calvary's cross. So it went from heaven to Bethlehem to Calvary to a grave to the right hand of the Father. So it led what looked like going the wrong direction. He's going to a cross. He's going to be hanged between two common thieves like a common criminal. And that's where he's going to end this life. But he didn't end it there. Death was not able to hold him. He knew what he was doing. He says, if I lay down my life, I'll take it up again. This commandment I have of my Father. And he took it up again. And he's returned into his glory. The glory that he had before with this Father. And henceforth expecting to his till his enemies become his footstool. But that's that's the race that he ran. And so we're looking unto Jesus who did what he did. He, he kept his eyes on the prize, so to speak. And if you just picture the Lord walking through whatever, the seacoast of Galilee or Jerusalem or into the temple to clean out the money changers, whatever point in his life, you picture always, 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 wherever he went, there was the cross. For 33 and a half years, he knew it. He knew he was going there. Nothing deterred him from it. Nothing. It was he went there. He just he got to where he was going. Thank God he did. Amen. And and we're to look unto Jesus, and he he never faltered. He didn't waver. He didn't fail. He made it where he was going, and he said it's finished. And we're going to have that one day. 
where the Lord says, well done, thou good and faithful servant, right? Enter ye into the joy of the Lord. <clears throat> so God's able to bring us through, but only as we keep our eyes on the Lord. There are times when we haven't. Thank God He forgives us. But this is just a reminder, one of thousands that we all need in our lives. Keep your eyes on Jesus, okay? Don't get off track and don't get distracted, all right? And so uh, he's able to bring us through. And it says here that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. We're going to finish this, this uh, scripture. So what was it that was set before him? He endured the, He saw the cross and he endured the cross. But there was a joy set before him that was like going to come as a result of the cross. And, and y'all, it was, it was you. The joy set before him, I believe, was, was the people that he died to ransom. His church, the Old and New Testament saints, everybody being brought together and spending eternity with him and redeeming us unto himself and having that position of honor and authority back at the right hand of the Father, having completed what he came to do. I believe all this, and there might be more, but all this would be included in the joy that was set before him. There's always a death before a resurrection. There's always like a, a struggle or a trial before the exaltation, a humbling before the exaltation. And, and so he endured the cross for the glory that was going to come after and the joy that would come after. So he endured it. And it says he did this. He endured the cross. He despised the shame. And now he is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And this is where he is. And this is where he is for us. And we've studied it through the book of Hebrews. He's seated at the right hand of the Father in power and glory. And he's interceding for you and I. And I want us to just look at a, a couple of verses here in closing. Let's look at Isaiah 53. You probably know what this, everybody knows what this chapter is about. Isaiah 53 is a messianic uh, passage about the first coming of Christ, specifically uh, going to the cross. Isaiah 53. Let's just look at the last two verses, 11 and 12. He shall see. Now this is speaking about Jesus at His first coming. He shall see the travail of His soul and shall be satisfied. So the Father's going to look at the travail of His Son Jesus and He's going to be satisfied. By His knowledge shall my righteous servant, that's Jesus, justify many and He shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, because nothing seems really joyful about that, Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Because he did this, and, and he saw what was beyond it, therefore the Lord has given him this position. Same thing in Philippians, right? He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death on the cross. Wherefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name. 
is because he went to the cross, because of who he is as Christ. But the Lord says, because of him enduring what he did, humbling himself, the humility came first, and then the exaltation. And it's same for us, y'all. This body, for example, we're just going to close. This body is not the glorified body we're going to have. Everybody in here got something breaking down. Your hair's falling out, you know? And we're getting bulges. Those bulges we talked about at the beginning. Um, This is not... It's going to get better, okay? Physically, it's going to get better. The rest that we've talked about that remains for the people of God, our nearness to the Lord, everything is going to get better. We, we ought not despise what we're going through now. We ought to let it be God use it to strengthen us and to cause us to humble ourselves and to show our dependency upon the Lord. We are not going to run this race and finish it in any other way than the Lord Himself strengthening, strengthening us day by day. Keeping our eyes upon the Lord, calling upon Him, Lord, I need You. I can't make it through the next hour if you don't help me. I can't resist this temptation that's coming my way if you don't help me right now. He's a very present help in trouble. Or if I look way down the road and say, gosh, it seems so, heaven seems so far away and all these burdens are right in my face right now in these trials, I don't think I'll ever get there. Whether it's for the short term or the long term, we need to keep our eyes upon the Lord. He helps us. He helps us day by day. And He strengthens us to do that. So I just wanted uh, to close with that, y'all. I really, um, I just don't see any need to, to rush through this. And I really want to get into this t- next week. We're going to talk about the chastening of the Lord and how we're not to despise that. That it's actually because out of His great love for us that He does that. So we're going to pick up on that next week. If you want to just read through it before, basically uh, up through verses about 11 where it talks about that. We'll pick up on that next week. But let's just give this time to the Lord and spend some time calling upon the Lord in prayer. You know, I'm thinking back again to the very beginning of this message where we're to lay aside the weight, every weight, and the sin that easily besets us. Satan is trying to throw traps out there. Our own flesh wants to cooperate with the devil. Okay, honestly. Uh, this whole world is governed by the God of this world, Satan. There's nothing that's trying to help you in your walk with Jesus other than Jesus and the people of God, okay, and the Word of God and the Spirit of God, but nothing else. So we have to keep our eyes upon the Lord and just take a few minutes. William's going to be singing. We're going to be worshiping the Lord. But take some time to pray and ask God, Lord, show me, are there weights in my life? Even if they're not sinful, Are there things in my life that you would have me to lay aside because they're hindering my walk with you? They're hindering my walk with you. Or maybe there are sins that you are specifically, and you know what it is or what those sins are, and you struggle with them, and maybe you've given up hope thinking you'll ever be free from those sins. That's a lie. Jesus' blood is sufficient, and the power of the cross and the power of the risen life. And He wants you to trust Him to bring you through. He wants you to trust Him. He's going to bring you through. If it's fear, if it's worry, if it's some kind of immorality, whatever it may be, 
that even if nobody knows what it is but you and the Lord, He's the answer. I promise you, He is sufficient. You don't have to go to special counseling or something like that. If God would have you to come to me or somebody you can trust and talk about it, then we're going to go to Jesus together. Amen? But right now, just take that time and see what the Lord shows you. You, already might, you might already know what it is. Maybe you knew before you came tonight. Lord, i got things in my life that are hindering my walk with you. And I've, I've excused them or I've put them off or I've made light of them. Or, or maybe I thought they were too great that you couldn't help me. And Lord, that's a lot. Because you said all things are possible with God. You are the answer to our sin. Your blood and your Holy Spirit and your resurrected life in us and the victory that you won on the cross, it was complete, it wasn't partial. You didn't win the victory on the cross for all the sins except our sin. And God, we just come before you tonight. We lay our lives before you. We want to look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And Lord, forgive me for the many times I've been distracted and I've taken my eyes off of you, Lord. I've fallen in a ditch and you cleaned me off and got me up out of that ditch. But Lord, I don't want to live in a ditch. I want to live running the race with patience that you've set before me. And I want to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus. And it's my prayer, Lord, for every person in this room as well every member of this church and your body around the whole world, but we keep our eyes on Jesus. That's the only way we're going to make it. But we will make it. And I thank you, Lord God. I pray you meet with us tonight. I pray you pour your spirit upon us. I thank you that you're the hope for the hopeless. And God, if somebody thinks a sin in their life is so strong they'll never be free from it, then God, tonight, you would give them the gift of faith to know you still love them, you haven't given up on them, and your grace is sufficient. Your blood is sufficient, God. Set us free from those things and help us by faith to lay them aside. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord.